Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Okay, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Jordan Barnes of Close Proximity TV. So Jordan, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Sure, man. Um, you doing all right this fine <laughs> February evening? I'm all right. Looking to talk to you about some turkeys, man. There you go. Well, you, you picked the right person, probably. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's uh, daydreaming about spring uh, right now, but I I definitely am. Can't wait to uh, kick off this spring season, man. I'm ready. Getting ready. So let's talk about you a little bit and how you got started into turkey hunting. Okay. Well, uh, I guess hunting in general, uh, you know, I used to play sports uh, growing up you know, as most everybody did and, uh, you know, did the whole soccer thing, basketball thing and, uh, baseball, t-ball, baseball up until about, I guess it's probably sixth grade. And, um, I just, I guess, I think I saw something on TV or I went to school and some boys had went, uh, they went dove hunting. So, um, anyhow, I had, would see some classmates and stuff and they would talk about hunting and stuff. And, uh, so I said, man, I really want to get into that. that. That sounds awesome. You know, I was probably, I don't know, probably eight or nine years old. And, uh, my dad, he hunted in college. Some, he, he really didn't hunt a ton or anything like that growing up. And, uh, so I started bothering him <laughs> a bunch and you know he's a pastor of a church and had four kids i was the youngest so he he really didn't have a ton of time and uh quite honestly didn't have the money 
to uh, do a bunch of hunting. And uh, so he he started, uh, he got me hooked up with a guy in my church. And uh, that guy offered to start taking me deer hunting. And, you know, we started doing the whole deer hunting thing. Not to digress, but we started doing that. And so I started kind of learning the basics of deer hunting from him. And that fall and spring, I mean, I was at that point, I was just all in. I was hooked on hunting. I was just, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I thought about. I rented every DV, every VHS tape on hunting from the video store growing <laughs> up a million times. If I rented them once, read every little magazine thing I could, um, ask everybody I could that was in the church that hunted every question I could. And, and then spring rolled around and, um, I had, a the guy that deer hunted, he didn't turkey hunt any. And, uh, I conned him into driving me up to our family farm, which is two and a half hours away to go turkey hunting with my cousin and first turkey. He called it up. I remember like it was yesterday. I don't even think I had a prayer to even hit that turkey i was shaking so bad and i missed him and the following year um still didn't have anybody to kind of take me under their wing to take me a bunch there's a fella there's the old turkey killer in the church and uh conned him into we had just joined a hunting club and uh you know i couldn't drive and uh, he offered to take me so he took me and lo and behold went on another one turkey hunt and uh that year and i sure enough had another gobbler come in and uh i like I say i had a I had a better chance to uh i don't know solve some hard math problem at that age <laughs> than i did to hit a turkey i was so jacked up and adrenaline going and i was just i, I was a basket case um so i missed that one and when i missed that turkey uh, the feeling I got, it, it motivated me and drove me. I, I had to know. I had to know at that point how to do this myself. I had to learn every little bit about it, and I had to find a way to get my dad to start taking me. The other guy would take me deer hunting. I needed to get my dad to really get involved and just be my taxi uh, on the weekends. <laughs> so we got in a different hunting club that had some turkeys, and um, I asked that old timer, I said, how do you, I got a turkey call, a diaphragm. And I, I was so frustrated because I had saved my money up and I bought this little, you know, cheap little diaphragm call. And uh, the lady at the counter at Walmart didn't know how to use it. And I was like, I've spent all my money on this, you know, diaphragm call and, and you don't know how to help me use it. You know, I was frustrated and <laughs> I kept learning and. I got to where at this point, you know, I'm probably, I'm 13 at this point. By the time uh, this comes around, I finally had learned how to, how to kind of call on a diaphragm and make a decent turkey sound. And I had asked him that old timer, I asked him, how do you purr? And he said, you know, you don't need to purr. Um, you, you can just cluck and you'll kill a turkey if you do the right things. And he was right. But for me, I just, I, I was infatuated with the details. I wanted to learn everything I possibly could. And to this day, I'm, I'm still learning. Um, and I say, 
you know, anything that if you want to do it, you know, right and successful at a high level, you've got to be infatuated with the details and, and always be a student of the game. Uh, and you never start, stop learning. And so we went that opening day, had roosted some turkeys the night before, and there was no Onyx maps back then. Uh, <laughs> we had picked our way through a little post oak ridge to a pine flat, and we got up there, and I hit this little Palmer's hoot tube, and uh, turkeys gobbled. We knew they'd be the next day, so we had to make, we made us a trail that marked with toilet paper back to the hunting club road so we knew exactly where to be. So the next morning I didn't, I tossed and turned all night and I stayed up all night. I was just so jacked up to, to get out there. I knew where those turkeys were, where they wanted to go. I had just been studying and learned everything about turkeys. And I knew those turkeys were going to head to that field. And, uh, we got in between them. I said, come on, dad, we got in between them. I said, let's just get in between them. And I'm going to, call a little bit to them and sure enough i mean it was right after fly down two gobblers just the way i learned growing up was just natural i mean the decoys that were out back then were they looked more like a probably a, a, a chicken or a, something like that or a crow <laughs> than they did a, a an actual wild turkey um so we never really messed with them and the few times that we did they scared more turkeys than they did anything so we just kind of tossed to the side but yeah two gobblers they just come coming to find us and uh that's what started all i shot my first turkey at 13 and uh, i remember it like it was yesterday and i've been basically obsessed since then so that's kind of how i got got started sorry for that long rendition there no that's good that's a good story but I, i'm kind of curious so you kind of hunted private land and hunt clubs at what point did you end up going mostly hunting public so uh when i got my driver's license um, there was only so many turkeys on that hunting club. And so I would shoot one, you know, the, I would shoot one there on that hunting club. It was, it was good for probably one or so, one or two sometimes. And then, you know, I would hunt, hunt public because that's all I had really to, to hunt. And I could really get out and get out there and find turkeys. You could always find turkeys. There wasn't as many people hunting back then, uh, as there is today. And uh, that's just kind of how, how that all, you know, started as far as Georgia. I started, when I got into um, college age is when I started kind of traveling a little bit. Uh, you know, of course, I was, you know, hunting with a shotgun back then in the day. And I hunted, you know, that way until probably, say I'm 35 now, 2015 is when I switched to um, the bow and arrow. So, and I started, you know, filming my hunts a few years before I switched to the bow. So when I started filming some, I started using the, you know, decoys somewhat to get better footage and things like that. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of how that kind of happened. So, uh, let's talk about that. When you started talking about the self-filming thing, what made you decide or how did, how did you come about that, that you wanted to start filming your hunts? Well, for, for me, um, you know, you would see TV and stuff where they're filming and, and having TV shows. I, I never really aspired to have a TV show or anything like that or be on TV or none of that stuff. I was doing it because it was something cool to, to relive that memory, you know, because once you shoot an animal, all you're really stuck with is your memories. 
so I got to thinking, you know, one day, what if I'm, you know, old and decrepit and I can't remember anything, you know, so it'd be yeah. cool to, to relive those memories for when I have kids one day and, and their kids, kids and their kids, kids, they can all watch, you know, my old hunting videos. That's kind of how that started. And secondly, I, I, I guess I, I have always been, um, kind of a glutton for punishment. I'm not sure why <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know why that is. I kind of sometimes wish I was not cursed with that, but it was a way to kind of also make it a little bit tougher. Um, now, like I said, there's guys out there probably way more talented that, that can, you know, shoot them without a blind and a, and a recurve and film it too. And I just don't know who they are. There are probably tons of them out there that just don't put their stuff out there, you know, but to, for me, it was just a way to kind of with the shotgun, make it a little bit more, um, challenging. I had something I could take away from it. That's kind of what kind of prompted, I guess, the whole yeah. filming stuff. So, uh, you kind of, just kind of curious it was one of them things where i mean was it like experiences or something like that you're just having all these great things and all of a sudden you're like man i should probably share these with people let them give them some content that's relatable or something is that kind of not, where it went you know, when i that that's not where it went at first at first i was just trying to you know film something kind of cool uh, i didn't really know what the heck i was doing <laughs> to be honest with you uh and that's why none of my videos where I first started are even on YouTube or anything, because it's probably just an embarrassment aspect. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I was just young and dumb and, you know, it just probably wasn't that relatable. Uh, I would probably been laughed at more so than anything or probably criticized. <laughs> I bet you um, that content is probably more relatable than, you know, you know, that's probably, probably your average turkey hunter or a guy like me could watch that and go, oh, I'm not the only person who's done that. Or, man, I don't feel like an idiot now. <laughs> true, true. You're probably right. Um, but anyhow, they're in the archives, so to speak. But, yeah, I guess the I think where my filming, I got better with it um, is when I started bow hunting because it helped me to – sit back and really focus on the details of filming. Because uh, I could, you know, I could just sit there and punch, record, and have it set up in the area the turkey's going to come. But that's not, I knew that wasn't going to really be a good footage. So I really wanted to get the best footage I could possibly get. And to do that turkey justice is what I say. It's, it's a respect thing too. You know, I want to honor that turkey's life and I want to show him out in the best way possible you know what i mean and that's when i really just started and i hate to say this because i i just love turkey hunting i mean i i'm not saying um i'm not saying uh that i love it to the top over everybody but i just don't think there's there's probably not any anybody that cherishes it or appreciates it more uh than i do or anything like that um and there's lots of guys that do have a great respect for it. But for me, that's just a way I could honor the animal. And I really wanted to uh, get some really good footage. So I focused on being a cameraman really first. And I'm still that way. I mean, I'm. it's maybe changing a little bit just because of the handicap that I give myself. Um, so I'm trying to find new ways. I think I showed you my new little setup. Yep, that was um, pretty cool with the GoPros and running off that and 
with the gimbal and stuff where it should make some really cool video and it won't really sacrifice a ton. Uh, so I'm trying to find different ways to kind of open up the playbook, but you know, for me, um, cameraman first mentality, you know, it's just, I really want to make sure I get some decent film and it always, sometimes you don't get as much good film as you'd want. And I guess after the last, after doing that for a few years, um, I guess I, I really wanted to start trying to be more relatable and not hold back certain things that I'd learned and pain points I had to go through and mistakes I made, made a wrong call on a bird or made a wrong move or this and that. I wanted to kind of, you know, just generously share it with people and, and share it with people that, you know, want to learn from my failures and what I screwed up, you know, at so maybe they don't make the same mistake and that could mean that they kill a turkey instead of having one get away well i gotta say i've uh downloaded a bunch of your youtube videos to my phone so i can watch them here and there when i get chance to um trying to help myself any way i can with my first turkey season on public land this year so i'm liking it i'm digging yeah. what's going on there so let's talk about that a little bit about how you do you have like a strategy or anything or what do you do in order to figure out what states you're gonna hunt well, I mean, and really a lot of, um, you know, back in college, I, I, like I say, when I was hunting with a shotgun and stuff, I, I would travel some, you know, states that were closer, you know, to Georgia. Um, and then I would go out west some and stuff like that, Kansas, Nebraska. Um, and I did that some. And a lot of that's knock on doors. Um, you know, I, I have had really high success on getting permission on knock on door property out of state, uh, specifically you get past the Mississippi, uh, and North, you know, more out towards the Midwest and West. Um, some people haven't, I, I really have, uh, but probably I started, I guess back in 2015, started picking a new little area here and there just because it kind of started was I wanted something new. I wanted to see something different. Um, I'd always heard about, you know, Osceola's are cool. So I kind of started there and, and wanted to try my hand at, at getting Osceola. And, and that, that transpired um, for me. And then I, you know, said, well, let's go to, you know, let's go to another state. And the West being out there hunting them with a shotgun, I was like, man, I really miss that. It's beautiful scenery and the things that you see, the, the people you meet and, just the sights. I was like, man, I, I really would like to get back over there with the bow. And that kind of did that. That ended up being <laughs> Kansas and Nebraska. And then that turned into South Dakota. And the next thing you know, I'm going to Idaho and Washington and Montana and, you know, Kentucky. And it's just, that's kind of how it got to that point. And I really enjoy it so much that I figured why stop a good thing. So I pick some states every year and you know, trying to um, just see some new ground every year and have some fun. Is there any goals that you're working towards, like a Grand Slam, Mega Grand Slam? What do you? Well, there's a, yeah, I have done a, done the Grand Slam or whatever with the bow, but I, I really, uh, that wasn't actually really planned. It just happened that I happened to kill a Osceola that spring. And I was actually, of all places, I was living in uh, Jacksonville for a job I took out of college or well, years after college. I, I worked in law enforcement for a little while after college 
And then I went, I actually wasn't finished with college. I went back, got out of law enforcement to go back to college because the pay wasn't that great. <laughs> and um, the time off was great, but the pay wasn't that great. And I got to thinking if I want to do some of the things, you know, that I aspire to do in my life and, and hunting goals that are just personal goals, then I need to find a different, you know, career. So that's kind of what landed me in Jacksonville. And I worked in insurance a little bit and then I was able to uh, get on with a, a company back at home in Georgia. And uh, that's kind of afforded me the ability to take trips and take time off and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of how it got to where I decided I was going to start doing different states every year. And there is something, it's called like a super slam, it's 49 states that have turkeys. And uh, I am pursuing that uh, with the bow and everything. But um, yeah, I just kind of attacking the, the, the hard west and working my way back and then attacking the northeast. And, you know, it's probably take three trips a year. Um, not as much as I'd like, but. I can't really complain. There's there's lots of guys that get to probably travel uh, more than I do. I'm sure and, there's a lot um, of travel less, though, too, man. <laughs> I could tell you that. <laughs> that's true. So, you know, I I, I, I can't really complain. Um, I'm sure if I could if I could take more time or take the whole season off, I could I could knock a lot more states out and probably shoot a lot more turkeys but I, I i'm content with what god's provided me so i can't really can't really complain too much yeah so let's talk about um once you pick a state because it's kind of you're just trying to knock through the states that's pretty cool that you're going to try and just make it all over and get a turkey from each one that you can how do you pick a spot once you've drawn a tag from that state or you buy one over the counter or whatever however it happens how, how do you find the birds and pick a spot to hunt well you know, that'll kind of go back to when I first started hunting public land. Um, locally, in-state is a little bit different than out-of-state, but a lot of the principles still apply. So, you know, in-state, I can put, obviously, a lot more boots on the ground. I can drive to different areas. I can, you know, research. Back then, we didn't have uh, the aerial technology we have now. So back then, it was a lot more of going to an area, walking the property boundaries, figuring out, you know, where the different transitions were, where the habitat looked good, where I actually saw turkeys at, uh, where I heard turkeys at, going a lot of mornings, things of that sort. Uh, when, and I really didn't go far out as a kid growing up with a driver's license. So I wasn't going that far from home. So I was hunting, you know, three or four public places around home. Um, when you get into the out of state, yeah, it is, uh, kind of how I do it is I have certain steps that I take. It's very detail oriented. I know there's some people that probably don't go into near the detail that I do, but I kind of look at it as don't leave any stone, um, unturned. You know, I'm trying to find out as much as I can that's going to tip the odds, uh, in my favor. So, uh, the first thing I do is I look at stuff like news articles. Um, I'll search Google places, turkey problems. Towns have states where there's tur too many turkeys. Um, I've even had seen where someone said there's too many turkeys and they have a farm. And then I call the person that has the farm 
and I say, hey, I'm from so-and-so. You know, I, I saw that you have a turkey problem a few years ago. Was, you know, I'm planning on coming up there, and there you go. I just unlocked the door for a starting point. Um, you know, I look at the harvest reports. Um, I'm not so much worried that there might be a lot of hunters in that area because the way I've, I look at it is I can break down what percentage of those harvests or what percentage of the kill ratio was in the first two weeks. So if I'm planning on going in May, then I know that there's probably everyone that is a turkey hunter has probably killed their birds. And so a lot of times I've got a ton of land to myself. Uh, so I look at that. Um, I'll call around, ask to gain permission. I'll call different businesses, gas stations, Clerk will pick up the phone in the area I'm looking at. Hey, where do you normally see turkeys? I mean, stuff like that. Once I, that's my first step. So that's kind of the fact find. The second step is more of a, uh, you know, using my eyes and, and knowledge that I've learned over the years on aerials. Uh, I'm looking for topography. Uh, I'm kind of a flatlander, so to speak. That's where I feel most at home. That's where, um, uh, I just, I don't know, I feel my confidence level is a lot higher that way, uh, especially with the bow, just because, you know, I can work the ridges and stuff, but if you're sitting down on a tree and you've got a bow pod and you're trying to jam in your bow to get it level, it's just a lot more moving parts with the hills. Um, so I kind of look at the topo. I like creeks, rivers, drainages. Uh, I'm looking at remote areas. I'm looking at places that people just simply aren't going to do the work uh, to to go that distance. Um, they're more apt to find a turkey that is close to the road uh, as opposed to some that are barely audible. Um, so remote areas, uh, hip, hip boots are a trademark for me. I mean, I wear hip boots a ton during the spring. If I'm normally, I find myself uh, in a in swamp land. Uh, the swamps is kind of what I know best. So hip boots, I tend to wear those. Also have some danners. I like to use the danners, um, and I like to use gaiters uh, to keep my feet dry. So I, I kind of wear those a good bit as well. And I've actually got some pullover hip waders that a company i can't remember the company makes them but they're it's like a i don't know cordera kind of slips over your foot and it packs up real easy in your vest and you can just slip them on and walk across a bunch of water and take them off and pack them back up um i use those some but i'm looking at can i get a boat in a kayak um a bike looking at upgrading that to an e-bike at some point um those might spoil me though, but that's kind of step two. Um, step three is going to be a boots on the ground, and that's kind of in the hunt. Typically, I'm going to start off at daylight, and I'm going to try to get to a high point near there, near a good area where I can hear. Um, and then from there, I'm just confirming my suspicions. Um, I'm confirming. You know, after that, I don't hear anything, or if I do hear anything, I'm still scouting my way towards it, looking for tracks, stuff like that. Um, and then I'm looking for 
let's say I've done all that and I've found turkeys. I know where there's turkeys at. I'm going to put that in the back of my mind. I'm going to go try to find as many spots as I can. Um, Because sometimes I will hunt them right then and there. If the topography allows it, if I can move on them, I'll observe them, kind of take notes, you know, what the situation is. Every situation is different. And a lot of times, most times, I'm going to hunt that turkey right then and there. I'm not going to wait around. Uh, But after I hunt those turkeys, I'll go find another area and kind of repeat the boots on the ground process. Uh, But I'm also looking at for this, I'm looking at the setup. Um, For the nature of how I hunt turkeys now, uh, for me, I'll still film people here and there when I have time. Um, What I found is here lately, I, I don't do that. I don't have time to really do that as much because if I... If I'm tagged out in Georgia, I'm immediately looking at a state I haven't killed a turkey in and trying to see about maybe I can throw in a new state in the mix. And so that means my weekends are pretty much shot. Um, I can hunt in the mornings, but I don't have really anybody around me that is ate up with it like me that can (laughs) hunt a bunch. So I have found a few here this past year that I'll be able to, to go with. And uh, I can probably, hopefully, yelp some birds up for them. But that's kind of, that's kind of the situation there. But for the nature, I digress. The nature of how I hunt now, um, I'm very much handicapped in my setup. So what that means is I have to pay a lot of attention to where I'm going to set up. Uh, why are turkeys in this particular area? What's my best chance to set up on them in the morning if I've watched them that afternoon? You know, I'm looking at all that type of stuff. I've got to have a good area to film from because uh, that's very important to me to have a good film, obviously. So I'm looking at the setup and that kind of that, that might lead into hopefully that answered your question. Let's uh, let's circle back a second and talk about you mentioned that you find a good spot or what looks like a good spot. And then you're going to get to a high point on that spot and and start calling birds in the morning. What are you, are you looking for like a standard roost trees or are you looking for like a transition break or something like that where it's like pines and then hardwoods or what? Uh... Well, not, not tip. Well, sometimes it, it really just depends, you know, Eastern turkeys, um, it depends on, and this will play into probably the next thing, but every situation is simply different with turkey hunting. Um, nothing is going to be the same. Uh, I know a Sometimes, you know, people say, well, turkey roost there, he'll roost there the next day. Well, Easterns, in my experience, do not do that. Um, They could be roosted in one area, and there could be typically areas, general areas, that they like to roost. But typically, they're going to be in different little spots. You know, not far from there, but they might be in different areas every day. Uh, You get into the Rios that are constricted to only certain places there's trees, Absolutely. You can find places that turkeys roost all the time in the cottonwoods and stuff like that. Um, Merriam's very much the same way. Uh, Osceola's, you know, could be in a totally different spot. There's just no way to really know exactly where they're going to be to pin them down. You just got to kind of take the situation you're granted and react to that situation the best way possible. But yeah, I will. A lot of people say, you know, I guess what you're asking is, what do you do in the morning? You're trying to find a turkey and get on him and get him killed. Well, 
hear a lot of people say, well, don't alhu first. Let the turkeys gobble on their own. Well, for me, um, with the first crow call, with the first crow calls, I'm crow calling. All right, with my natural voice or something. And same thing with the owl. An owl's going to hoot all night. So I'm not worried about hooting too early or anything like that. I'm trying to get a, a read on that gobbler to give me his position as early as possible because the earlier I know it, if I haven't roosted him prior, that gives me more time to look at the topography on my on my app or and see what I can see in the woods there with no lights on, maybe there's moonlight and I can kind of make a general guess at, at a good tree to sit down to that Turkey on. So that's kind of how that plays out. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So I got a question for you then. What, uh, how do you simulate, say you got a gobbler and you think he's still roosted or something like that. How do mm-hmm. you simulate another Turkey coming down off the roost? Well, you know, like I say, every situation is different. The way I might work one turkey, I might work one turkey the same as I work another turkey. I might work a turkey totally different than I worked a turkey. I mean, it's it really just depends on the situation. But I start out um, and I take a gobbler. A lot of people say they, they read them or whatever. I take his temperature. You've heard that before. Um, it really boils down into taking that turkey's temperature. That's a big part of it because, you know, you might have a turkey that's been called to a bunch. Uh, and turkeys come to turkeys every day. But he might have been messed with, fooled with. People always come at him from a certain angle, a certain area. Um, you know, Turkeys, I think sometimes people give them a lot of credit and they are very adaptable to pressure, but their brain is the size of a peanut. (laughs) So I always, when I'm getting it handed to me, uh, because I fail, I have failed. Last time I'm going to fail. But I always think when a turkey's handing it to me that I'm going to kill him. Because his brain is the size of a peanut and mine is not. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're, they can be predictable. They can be unpredictable. But I always, I, I think of it as a toolbox of communication. That's what I come at each turkey with, a toolbox. And I'll pick different tools out uh, for different situations. But I'm always going to start each situation very soft. Um, you know, you hear people sometimes they might be walking and calling and they're at level 10 from the rip, you know, and that's just turkeys don't do that. You don't, I never hear a hen just out of nowhere, just she's level 10. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. They're constantly subtly calling as they're walking and they're feeding. And, and that's what I do a lot of times, but I guess you're asking how do I start a turkey on the roost as opposed to, you know, trying to strike one? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the question. Okay. So after that long, uh, spiel there, I went on that rabbit trail. Well, that's good. We're going to circle back to what you just talked about because that's important as well. Okay. So it's the soft stuff. I mean, I'm, I want to just, I want to paint a picture 
Uh, and I, I refer to that a lot because I'm very passionate about that. I believe in that. and I know that works. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to call at a turkey. I'm trying to call to a turkey. And I think there's a big difference between those two things. I'm trying to paint a canvas for him of what's happening over here. Okay. And I'm trying to spark some interest from him. And so I'm going to try to make it as real as humanly possible. So that means if I start him, I'll take a wing. I'll raise it high on a pine or a tree, and I'll just scuff the ends of those primaries next to that bark, like a hen situating on the limb. And then I'll start with some real soft tree yelps, very soft. And then that's going to, I'm going to be listening, and I'm listening for, is there any other hens on the limb around him? Okay. Um did he gobble to that? Did he answer me on that? Did he gobble immediately or did he wait a while before he gobbled? And I'm kind of gauging what his temperature is. Um, and there's two things that's going to happen there. If there's no hens on the limb with him or around him and he's by himself, then I might just leave it right there. I might let him keep gobbling and keep gobbling, but I'm not going to, I don't want him to, I don't want to keep making him gobble. Because I feel like sometimes as hunters, a lot of times people can, and I've done this growing up, um, is they're wanting to hear a turkey gobble. Deep down, that's what they want to do instead of killing that turkey. Because that's it. Let's just face it. I mean, that's the exciting part. Of, that's one very exciting part of turkey hunting is the turkey's gobbling to you. So... They're wanting to hear that. I'm wanting that turkey. Uh, I'm wanting to kill that turkey. So the more I'm making him gobble, the more hens are hearing him gobble, which means the better I'm going to have a chance to get blocked. Um, and, you know, I've had hens before where I was making a turkey gobble growing up you know high school and i had hens walking past me and you could barely see your hand and they're already walking over to that gobbler so that's a big thing i want to gauge so i started off slow um i typically sometimes i may fly down with a wing and start kind of acting like a hen that's just feeding i'm not really pleading with him um i'm just acting like a hen that's over there and not really worried about him I'm just doing my own natural thing. Now, if the situation dictates that I need to step it up a notch where he's asking for more, okay, or there's other hens further away from him than I am to him and they're calling, then I need to tell him I'm the one you want. So I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive with it and tell him I'm right here. I'm closer. Come to me now. Uh, so I think that's important. So that's kind of how I dictate how much I do, uh, what what I say, and how I say it and when I say it. Um, a lot of times, I like to throw in there, not every time, it just like I say, it depends on the situation, but I do like to incite jealousy. Um, I will Jake Yelp at a turkey or Jake Calc at a turkey uh, when he's on the ground. When a gobbler struts, a lot of times a jake will calc at him strutting and you can kind of paint a picture of there's another gobbler on the scene 
you know what I mean? And a lot of times that will just uh, make him commit. You know, he'll just want to come in there and, and investigate that. Um, but that's kind of one area. Um, I've already kind of talked about painting that picture. Uh, another thing is, I guess we'll transition off of the roost. Um, and I think I've kind of covered how I play a turkey, you know, on the lamb. Uh, I don't know if you have any more questions on, on that topic. Well, or let's not. talk about that. So you keep a wing from a previous bird or something like that, and you use that just for that, that purpose? Yeah, and you can scratch with your hand and the leaves some too. I mean, it's not necessary to do that all the time. That's just something, a, one little trick in, in the in the toolbox communication that I'll, I kind of throw out there. Um, let's see hens okay so let's give you the same scenario on the roost there's hens with him so there's two things that's going to happen when there's hens on the limb or in the area of that gobbler you're either going to get passive hens that are submissive that you can just talk sweet to and talk soft to and you'll kind of spark their interest and they'll come over there first and the gobbler come with them um or you're going to get a hen that's pissed off because she's a dominant hen, or she doesn't like you over there uh, coming into the picture. So I always start them off slow, because if you are aggressive to a bunch of hens and they're not buying that, the first thing they're going to do when they fly down is take that gobbler the other direction, because they don't want, it's just, it's no different than a human. You know, some people that don't, they don't really, um, like being around people that uh, start stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't want conflict. And then you have people that run to conflict, <laughs> create their own conflict. So depending on what kind of hen uh, that we have talking back to us is going to dictate what I do. But I'm going to, it'd be easy to say that I'm, I'm going to match that level. Uh, there's a hen that's popping off, you know, and she's getting very aggressive, then I'm going to fire right back at her. And that can work to bring him in. But from the, for starters, I'm going to start it soft. So then let's talk about like your setup a little bit. So say you think you got them coming in or something like that. What, what are you doing at that point for uh, picking a tree and trying to figure out which direction you think he's going to come from or well, I'm already going to be set up at, at that point. I'm already, I'm already set up on him and I've already, I'm already in a spot that I feel is probably the best, um, going to give me the best chance to kill him. Um, and, and that's going to have to do with, you know, I know where the drainages are. I know where the thickets are at. I know where the down deadfalls are. I know where the creeks are. I know where the hills are. Um, I know where, he already naturally wants to go. It's easy for him to get to me. Um, I'm looking for those types of things. And it's going to depend. Am I taking somebody and we're just naturally hunting and I'm, I have, all I got to do is run a camera and they've got a shotgun. So in that situation, I'm going to set up. And a lot of times I set up this way too with a bow, but I'm going to set up to where by the time that Turkey comes within range or with the time I can see him and he can see the general area of where I'm at, 
he's already in range. Um, and that could be a roll of a hill. Uh, you know, that could be moving down a creek and popping up in a certain spot. Uh, that could be a thicket on the side of us, and I'm calling him around the thicket where he's got to come investigate that. It could be a fence line. It could be a, a point in a field. Anything like that is what I'm looking for. Places that are going to optimize uh, his curiosity where he's going to have to come find the source of that sound of that call. So that's it's, I'm going to play it probably very similar if it's old school or if it's the way I'm hunting with the bow and filming and all that. Um, now, typically, you know, if I know a turkey's coming to a field, um, you know, I'm definitely going to go ahead and set up in that area where I know he wants to be. So, you know, sometimes there'll be a turkey and he might be a thousand yards from that field and it'd be off the limb. I'm not, I'm not even bothered about going way down in there, chancing through all that stuff. If my scouting tells me that turkey's coming to that field off the limb, and I'm not going to sit there and wait on him all day, but if I know he's coming there naturally off the limb, then I'm going to go ahead and set up right there on him. Um, so that's kind of off the limb. That's that's what I've got for that. Um, yeah. So you want to talk about setup a little bit? Are you kind of like, uh, do you ever use blinds, or is it more of on the foot, kind of on the fly type thing? Or Always, always has been on the fly. I have, um, you know, and, and like I say, everybody's different. Everybody's got their... If they're, hey, if that's what they like to do and, and they like to get in a blind and all that, and, um, you know, last time I, I looked at a regulation handbook, it, it you know, it, it didn't say that um, blinds were illegal and, <laughs> you know, it doesn't say that TSS is illegal either. So, you know, there's, you can kind of come at that both ways, but, you know, I, it, it doesn't bother me how somebody wants to, to legally do it. I just prefer, for me, I'm thinking... Okay, uh, that turkey's main defense that he uses to survive are his eyeballs. That's it, his eyesight. So that's what God bless that turkey with to survive, um, his hearing ability. But first and foremost is his eyes. So, you know, if I'm in a blind, I know that turkey cannot see me. The chances that he's going to see me are very slim. So for me, I just don't get that feeling knowing that that turkey is 100% not going to see me. And then he's going to walk up there and I'm going to shoot him or something. It just doesn't do anything for me. Now, that doesn't mean I can't, um, I can't say what anybody else feels. That's their feelings. That's their passion and, and their right to, to pursue it how they, how they want to. You know, they, they buy their tag just like I buy mine. Uh, so... Anyhow, that's that's kind of the reason why I've never messed with them. And another thing is, I like just the sense of being out there and seeing everything around me. I like to be able to hear exactly where stuff comes from. I like to be able to get up and move quickly. Um, you know, it just in general, hunting turkey hunting, I like to be able to move quickly. Um, and that's the way I hunt now. The last five years has definitely handicapped that. Uh, and like I say, I could probably do a lot better and, and travel a lot more and shoot a lot more turkeys if I was not doing it the way I do it now, which is with the bow without the blind and all that and the camera. But, you know, for me, it's not about, um, 
it's about an experience for me. That is the honest reason I turkey hunt. It's the way I do it now. The reason is for the experience I get. And for me personally, the adrenaline dump I get when I'm looking at a turkey and I am ivied up and I've got my green leafy and all that stuff and, and that turkey can't see me and he's I'm looking at him and he's seven yards spitting and drumming or ten yards spitting and drumming. I mean that it it'll <laughs> I'm telling you it makes me I feel like I'm gonna have a coronary one year. Uh <laughs> just that feeling, man, it's just something. There ain't nothing like it. But like I say, I like to be able to be mobile. It takes me, when I first started this, uh, Lucas, it was, you know, it would take me 10 minutes to get up and move on a turkey with this bow set up like this. Even, you know, the blindless way, it, it, I mean, it just takes time. I've gotten it to where I could probably move in five minutes, but I've had so many times where you're moving on a turkey to get in position and he's coming and you could have just shot that turkey, but you're caught with your pants down, you know? Uh, and that's why I'm working on this, this two dual GoPro vlog set up on the bow with the gimbal and, and all that stuff to where I can have the ability to ditch everything and just take nothing but that bow and a mouthy upper and try to get that turkey killed. So that's, uh, yeah, as far as setup, that's, that's kind of way I do it. The why, the reason I do it the way I do it now, yeah, I've never, uh, never really used a blind for turkey, but I, I mean, I could see how it would kind of even hinder you at some point because you can't pull an audible and try and try and make a move or something if he ends up circling around or something like that, and then you just ruined your shot. But mm -hmm. uh, I mean, unless you had, unless you knew exactly where he was coming out and you had some uh, some decoy set up or something so you could draw him right to that. But let's talk about that then. Now that I mentioned decoys. Are you a guy that always carries a decoy or is it a situational thing? Well, with the bow hunting without a blind and the camera aspect, um, if I was just bow hunting and that's all I was doing, I didn't worry about camera. I probably would not hunt with them just because it's something extra to carry. Uh, you know, I would be more inclined to get in between that turkey in the field as opposed to go set up in that field. Uh, I would be more opposed to strike that turkey and work that turkey. Um, you know, but because of the way that I'm doing it, it is just about impossible to <laughs> do it without a decoy if you're filming and using that bow and there's no blind involved. It's just, you know, I'm in the business of the experience but look i mean i'm not trying to be be dumb here I, I like killing turkeys you know and if i plan on killing turkeys the way i intend to do it uh then yeah i i do definitely use a decoy um and a lot of those cases the turkeys like i say by the time he comes into range he's would have been dead with the decoy or no decoy with a shotgun so it's you know it's kind of tit for tat. Um, but yeah, if I'm, like I say, back in the old days, I say old days, going back to, I filmed for a few years with a shotgun before I transitioned to the bow. Um, but before then, you're talking about 15 years, I didn't ever mess with them at all, you know. And it didn't matter if I was hunting the field 
or hardwoods or whatever because I could just use woodsmanship and, and pick my way around the field and get to a, an advantageous spot to kill that turkey in the field or get to a roll in the hill or call him right over a rise or intercept him on a logging road or, you know, all, all type of stuff. And even today, most of the time, it depends on who I'm with and who I'm hunting with. But most of the time, if I'm hunting and someone's just got a shotgun or something, we're, we're not, we're going to leave that decoy at the house. So are you, uh, are you mostly like a Jake decoy or a hen decoy or what's your go-to or are you carrying one of each? For, for, for the bow hunting, um, it's normally going to be a Jake. Uh, although, and it's really a mobility thing, you know, I could have a lot better chance most of the time with a strutter because I can wait till he gets behind that fan somewhat. Um, but that thing is just, let's face it. I mean, I'm trying to cover ground and stuff. I'm not trying to tote that big old heavy thing everywhere. Uh, so I like a, just a Jake. That's it. I mean, a Jake and maybe I can fit a hen in the same bag and I use that bow hunting. Um, I'm kind of experimenting as I've told you before, but I'm experimenting cause I want to open the playbook up, so to speak, to give myself more opportunity to kill a turkey if I'm in a state or something. And even this year in Georgia, I mean, if I, I'm, a, I'm in a situation where I need to move quick and I need to be, I know if I can get to this spot, I'll get a chance to kill that turkey. I'll wait till he gets behind a tree. I'll, I'll take nothing but my bow. I have my two GoPros rolling and, um, and we'll wait till he gets behind a tree, comes up in there tight. And we'll, we'll stick air in him, you know, but with the bow, it's definitely, I will use them, um, and when I do use them, I'll use a Jake for the most part. And the head color, uh, another thing I'll add, the head color of a decoy. And I, I use a, try to use a realistic decoy, the most realistic I can find. But the head color of that decoy is huge when you're, you're bow hunting them like the way I'm doing it. Um, a red head color means uh that that turkey is subdominant if you see a gobbler and he's you know king of the field or whatever you want to call it and he's got a bunch of hens he's out there or if you see a gobbler that is being dominant or something like that that boss gobbler he's always got that white crown head a lot of times a lot of white and blue and a lot of people say well they use that breeding too that's true but i can just tell you from when I started fooling with the decoys, the few years I shotgun hunted with the camera before I transitioned to the bow or whatever, a few years before that, I, um, I started out with the, they had the white head and all that stuff. I had a turkey one time in a corner of a field, and he must have gobbled a hundred times if he gobbled one time. And he was all over me, and, and I was just taking his temperature calling to him some, I shut up on him. He just said, keep gobbling. And when he hit that field and he saw that decoy and he saw that head color, that turkey kicked out of there and ran as hard as he could. I had not moved. I didn't make a muscle. And he took off and pitched and flew across that field. And I found out the next day I killed uh, the boss gobbler out of that field. And he had inch and a half hooks. And I learned something at that day. You know, I always say you always, you're always learning. You're never going to know it all. 
you can try, but you know, you'd be a student of the game and you'll never learn it all, but you can, you can try. Um, but I learned that and I have always had a red color scheme on a Jack decoy with a little bit of white on the top. And it's, it has not let me down. I can tell you that I have never had one run like crazy away from it. They, they have hung up a bunch, but they have never ran like that. Because so, he knows he's going to come in and put a whooping on him. Huh? Well, is and the, you, the theory behind that? Yeah, and, well, you got to think, too. You know, you're kind of telling him when he's looking over there, he's thinking, okay, this guy's not saying he's the boss. And, he, you know, I hear a hand over there. So I'm not really intimidated by that. He's not really flexing. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, <laughs> if, if you're going with a white color scheme on a head, you're – essentially targeting 10% of the gobblers in that area. There's only really going to be one dominant bird in a general area. You might have another that's kind of up there in that, in that social, in that social pecking order. But, uh, you just, you know, you're trying to do a sales pitch to, to only a few, not saying that they won't come into that white one and, and they will. A lot of times early season, if you have a few gobblers, They'll gang up on it and feel like the odds are in their favor, but for the most part, yeah, you can't can't go wrong with that red red color scheme. And and I have I've heard people say exact opposite of what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you my my experience. That's that's the honest truth in the woods woods time. Nice, that's a good thing to know. So let's talk about your toolbox. Is there anything else in your toolbox that you need uh, you want to tell me? Yeah, well, I mean, are you talking about like? Um, working turkey as far as things that you'll pull out of there well yeah you got your work in the turkey yeah uh, okay and so, then uh, yeah you're calling the rest of your calling sequences right or working them right so uh realism in your calling you can do that with you know your wing and you can do that with certain subtle features that you throw into a sequence and stuff that that paint that picture um there's other things that you can do. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, um, I, when I started, I, always, I, I went straight to the mouth diaphragm from the start. And I've had one in my mouth for 25, almost 23 years now. Um, so that's something I've always been working on, trying to get it to that level of sounding as much like a natural actual hen i don't think there's anybody out there that can match the exact realism of a wild turkey hen but we can dang near try to get there as close as we can to the real thing um and i think realism in calling is huge uh a lot of people say it's not as important because there's some hens that sound terrible but if you if you listen to those hens their cadence is never going to be wrong their cadence can't be wrong because they're a wild turkey hen so you pay attention to cadence. Um, I do think that being able to make certain vocalizations and, and doing it in a manner that emits realism will definitely put more turkeys over your shoulder. It, it just, it's simply, it just is. I mean, you, little feeding wines, and I call them weedy woots, and, you know, little, little subtle little things that, you know, are just, they're hard to do, but once you figure it out, you're going to start shooting more turkeys. I mean, if you couple that 
with woodsmanship and you add the two together, uh, that's, that is some bad medicine on a turkey. If you can match those two things together. Um, so yeah, realism is huge. And, and I'll kind of say this, I think a lot of times people get too comfortable with just one type of call. And I think that really handicaps them because, you know, I carry, I don't carry a ton of calls. Uh, I carry some diaphragms, mainly the same cut that I can naturally run and I can make all the vocalizations through that one cut just through experience. And I know what tension I use. I know what, what, uh, latex, I know how air naturally, you know, comes over the reeds and stuff and what cut I need. So I'll have a bunch of those. Um, like I say, all the vocalizations with that, but I also, I get tired of running mouth diaphragm sometimes to be honest with you, but not so much that, but sometimes a different sound, you know, could strike a turkey sometimes. Uh, 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 and no product plug here because I have absolutely zero affiliation uh, with with him or anything, but that Matt Van Syce, I've got a custom box is, and that thing right there is just, it's sing, man. It's, uh, it's pretty wicked, but yeah, I'll carry a Matt Van Syce box, um, and I have a, a slate crystal crystal over glass i think it is and uh those are just different things if people can if they have another sound in their vest and that's only three calls i take but you know i might be able to strike a turkey further with uh crystal over glass than i will my mouth diaphragm it might be windy you know it could be something like that uh but i think sometimes it's just it's it's better to have multiple options you're going to open up the opportunity for yourself uh, to do more things. And let's just face it, there's some things, for instance, uh, on a box call that you can't do on a diaphragm. You know, uh, you can't do little weedy woots and, and soft little purr and clucks and stuff on a box call The same with the same realism. Uh, a wing bone, you can't do all those little things on a wing bone. A wing bone's good because it's a different sound sometimes a turkey hadn't heard. But it's good to kind of, in my opinion, have multiple options there. So when you're carrying all those, do you uh, typically just throw them in your pockets or you got a vest or what do you use? Yeah, I, I'm using a, um, I've just got a little, like I say, no, no, no product affiliation here. Uh, I've been wearing bottom lands since I was <laughs> started turkey hunting. So uh, I was a sucker for that nomad vest and that's, that's what I, I've got it all organized. That's another thing I like to do too, is kind of, I'm always resituating my vest situation and, and making it simplistic as possible. Spot to put my tripod, spot to clip my, my main camera into, spot to, you know, put my boat cushion. I got a boat cushion I sit on because it's just like six inches thick. It's very comfortable. Um, so I kind of organize all that. Uh, I'm a kind of a stickler for organization. <laughs> But yeah, I, I carried all in that. Um, so as far as calls, yeah, that's that's one thing you said. Calling is is the the realism to the calling. Uh, I think another point that I'll make is um the difference in calling distance will dictate my next step in a chess match. So uh, let's just say it like this. Let's say a turkey. And I think I kind of hit on this a little bit, but 
let's say I'm picking through some woods and I'm just soft talking and a turkey gobbles to me. Okay. I'm going to approach that situation toned down. I started it toned down. I didn't start it at level 10. So I'll, I'll work that turkey very methodically. Um, if I'm way away from that turkey and I'm a thousand yards away from that turkey, when I hit that turkey and strike him, every I'm going to go to him quick. And every hundred, I'm going to keep calling going to him. Every hundred, I'm going to open up and call to him again and go into him. Because what that's doing is that's painting a picture of realism in his head. That that hen is calling, searching, he's answering. Calling, searching, answering. Calling, searching, answering. And as soon as I get into that bubble is where I tone it down. And I pick my set up quickly and decisively. Not wait around and think about, you know, oh, should I go to that turkey? He's gobbling an awful lot, you know. Or should I kind of, oh, you just cannot hesitate. Hesitating will will screw you up more than anything. You got to like be decisive is what I would would say would be my advice on on stuff like that is, uh, and and definitely paint that picture as you're coming into it. Um, Because the opposite of what happens, and this is from my own screw ups and mistakes as a high schooler is, you know, I, I strike a turkey way out, get excited. I run way over there to him where I think he was, and I don't know exactly where he was. And the next thing that happens is he doesn't say another word because I came too close and he I spooked him. And or the next time he heard me, I was already there and calling just as loud. You know what I mean? So that's kind of that's kind of standoffish to him. Now sometimes it's not. Sometimes you get lucky and. He answers, he didn't see it, and he's fine with it, and here he comes. But generally, it's best to work that turkey gradually and come at him and keep coming and answer him. He calls back. Um, if I'm working a turkey that's kind of tough uh, and we're having a standoff and he's not saying nothing, I'm not giving up my position. I'm not saying any more. I'm just giving him just a little bit. If he gobbles in that silence, I'm answering him immediately right back because that's natural to him. You know what I mean? So that's that's what I would say as far as what else I've got in that that toolbox as far as uh, communication uh, with a with a turkey. Um, and there's some other little tricks if 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 I'm I go through my progressions and we're getting to where you know this guy this turkey's just really giving it to me and handing handing me uh, uh, it looks like he's handing me an, an L in the column there for a loss for the home team, then I'm going to, um, I'm going to try last ditch stuff. I mean, I'll try to stage a fight, gobbler fight, slap, slap my, my booty, my wing against my boot and make a bunch of ruckus and stage a bunch of gobblers fighting each other and, and all kind of stuff like that. Um, I'll try, I'll try that probably. If I have somebody with me, I'm going to try to move off away and try to bring that gobbler to come find where I was at and try to tell them I've left. Um, so that's another thing. But, yeah, just off the top of my head, that's what I would think about as far as as far as far uh, that toolbox communication. You got anything else that uh, goes along with that? or? Hmm. Let's see. Uh, I would say uh, another thing is sometimes – 
like I say, and I probably say this a thousand times already, uh, not to beat it, beat a dead horse or anything like that, but sometimes your calling is dictated by the situation, obviously, but sometimes I'm going to call to that hen. If I'm chasing a turkey around all morning and he's got hens, I'm going to try to get around on him and I'm going to try to call to the hens instead of the gobblers. Because obviously, insanity is doing the same thing and, you know, you're expecting a different result. You know, you're moving on them and you're doing the same thing and you're just doing your same little call or whatever. And he's gobbling and he's trailing behind some hands, you know, not trailing like a, obviously a, a deer would or nothing like that. But he's just following those hens wherever they're going. Um, I'm going to try to call to those hens instead of calling to him. And that's another kind of thing that I'll I'll use. And sometimes, to be honest with you, um, take it for a loss. Go find a different turkey that wants to die. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I've lost some battles and I'll lose some more. But sometimes I won't waste a ton of time. Um, sometimes I will. Sometimes I'll, I'll get a chip on my shoulder and I really want to, you know, see that turkey through. But a lot of times... You know, if I've got other areas that I think, you know, the time's right in the day and, you know, I want to go check some of the stuff. Um, and, you know, that might be another good topic you might want to discuss is like, what's the best time? I know y'all, y'all close it down in Illinois at like 12 or something. No. no. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's uh, sun sunrise or half hour before sunrise to noon. Wow. That's all you got. So I, I haven't hunted a state like that <laughs> yet. Um, I think I might. One of those states I'm going to, I think. I think Missouri or Arkansas, one of them well, has something I'm, like that. This year I'm hunting Arizona, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Ohio, West Virginia, and Maine, and obviously Georgia, my home state. But I'm just trying to think if any of those – I think one or two of those might close the first part of the season at 12, but by the time I get there, it'll be all day, which I really like that um, because that gives me, if it's daylight, I'm hunting. I mean, if I've got, if I'm on a trip and if I can hunt and it's a weekend around here, I mean, I have, I have shot turkeys um, at every hour of the day. I have shot them at, at right at light where you could barely see them flying down to you and you had to wait for it to get light to shoot them. I've shot them where it was getting slim pickings on, on the darkness cause they were heading, you know, towards the roost in the last five minutes of legal shooting light in the evening. Uh, and, and every hour in between there I, I've killed them. So, I mean, they, they can, you can kill them at, at, uh, at any time of the day they're susceptible to, to, to work um and you might just stumble up on them and it's the right place right time you know um i would say statistically i probably shoot more probably right off the roost but i don't know i'd probably say more in the afternoon i've probably killed more past 12 o'clock <laughs> than i have any other time to be honest with you well i might be in trouble well no no tag, but <laughs> you, you you'll there's been a, a plenty of them that, that died in the morning for sure. I mean, it's just saying per per capita. I'm just trying to think. I, it might be half and half. I don't know. I just know that I, plenty of them have been past twelve for sure. But hopefully, I didn't uh, 
go on too long rabbit trail there. No, no, that's pretty good. So uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on and talking to me about all this stuff, turkey hunting. And um, if there's anything else you'd like to add, or um, actually, if you could tell people where they can find you. Yeah, it's uh, Close Proximity TV on YouTube is uh, where all my all my content uh, is located at. And uh, that's where you can find, you know, I do a, here lately, the last few years, I do a, a, a day, kind of like a daily blog. It's uh, called Deer Journal. And then I have a turkey journal and I, I try to get i'm learning more and more how to be more efficient with it um and it takes a lot out of me but i try to do it real time and i I try to get it out there to to subscribers and just anybody i guess on youtube um as quickly as i can uh like i say i'm learning to be more intentional when i hit that record button and you know try to to offer more in in the content you know i'm not getting paid to do it i I do it because I, I just enjoy it, you know, is the main reason why I'm doing it. But yes, YouTube and I have a um Instagram and a Facebook page as well. Same same uh and same. those are close proximity T V too or just yeah. close proximity? Yeah, close proximity T V. Yep. Yep. That is it, man. And I I started to uh just, you know, name it like uh when I first started, I was just going to do just name it close proximity because that's just kind of the way for me. It's about more based on the experience and just getting really close to wildlife. And when I'm out there and I'm doing that and I'm experiencing that, uh, I do. I feel closer to God. I, I, it's just it's where I, I'm at peace, you know, just doing that. So, um, but yeah, that's what it is called, my friend. And, uh, yeah, that's what I've got. So you're, you're getting ready for, uh, Illinois then. Yep. Yep. I'll be hunting. I believe it's a week of the 12th. It's first season. So we'll be doing that. I got a few days to do it. I don't even know if I'll get to hunt the whole season, but I'm going to try and get out as much as I can. Well, what's the, the limit in, um, Illinois? Is it one, one turkey? One bird. Yep. It's one oh, okay. bird. Well, that's all, <clears throat> yep. all, all it's going to take is just... <laughs> Doing a little little scouting and, and due diligence, and I'm sure all it takes is uh takes just one hunt, man. You know, I, I think I think I think you're gonna get it done. I really do. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming on and talking to me, man. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. God bless, buddy. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you could check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the duck camp dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This 
is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.